Hey guys, welcome to the Youth Pastor and His Wife podcast. I'm Allie. What are we doing here? I thought I was starting off. Why well, you said, would you like to start? And I said, surely, surely, and then I did. Hi, I'm Anthony. <laughs> this feels all wrong. It does, but we're going to go with it. Anyway, how are you? Pretty good. It's a good week. It's over. We're going to Universal Studios on in like two days we are we are leaving on monday morning at 4 30 in the morning you can sleep in the car i don't ever sleep in the car you know this sleeping in the car is just like a crazy danger to me but you can't control the car if you're not driving the car okay so if anyone's listening to this and doesn't understand what i'm saying Anthony thinks this is crazy, but I have never, ever been able to sleep in the car because I get really nervous that the other person that's driving is going to fall asleep because I am asleep. Why would they do that? If you have no one to talk to or you have no one to interact with, maybe you start to get sleepy. Yeah, but your brain can be engaged without conversation. You could sleep and all would be well. I don't sleep in the car. No, but you can't control the car unless you're driving the car. Well, and it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous that I'll be asleep and I won't be able to, like, brace myself if there's an impact or something. That would, that's usually the better thing. When I was a kid, I would sleep in the car no problem. I would lay down in the back of the car and I would sleep for hours. And I just can't as an adult. I don't know. Maybe I've got, like, some some unreleased trauma. Yeah, you want to... Trauma. You're trying to control the car. Llama, llama. Got some trauma. Okay. All right. So today, what are we talking about? We are talking about commandments number five and number six. Without looking, what is commandment number five? Well, I just looked. But commandment number five, to honor your father and mother. And commandment number six, do not murder. All these Scottish people can do a murder. No, no. It's not just for the Scots, but I'm just saying, like, have you ever seen, um, what is that Disney movie, the kids' Disney movie with the redheaded, curly redheaded girl? Brave. Brave. Yeah. Murder. That's what I think of whenever I hear when the word murder. Murder. Or like a really old, like, those old black and white shows where the guy's like smoking a pipe and he's like, this was no accident. It was murder. <laughs> anyway. All right. So we're going to talk about, uh, like she said, commandment five and six. Uh, so let's just kind of jump into commandment number five. All right. So commandment number five <clears throat> is to honor your father and your mother. Uh, so we will read it. It is Exodus chapter or Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. All right. It says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's start with a couple of questions. Why should we honor our father and our mother? Because the Lord says to. So you've got all of these commandments, right? Honor the, you know, worship the Lord only. Don't make any uh, any idols. Don't misuse his name, right? Later on, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie. But here at the beginning of this section, you have honor your father and your mother. Why is that important? Well, I think there's two reasons. The first is that if you have parents who obey the Lord and who keep their commandments as well, then that almost, I don't know if this is the right term, but kind of like sets you up for a life of righteousness. So it prepares you to listen to what they say. A lot of us as children, if you grow up in a believing home, 
then as children, you are hearing the word and to honor your father and mother would be to follow the word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the second is that in learning how to follow your parents and Mm -hmm. to obey them, you learn how to obey God. And the reason for that is because if you can love your parents who are fallible and incomplete and and not God, mm-hmm. you can love and obey the Lord. Right. Yeah, I mean, our relationship with God is going to impact our relationship with others. If we're not loving the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and strength, then we're not going to love other people. Likewise, we can't truly say that we love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul if we treat other people like junk. So like just looking at the list and kind of how it flows, we have the the commands to worship the Lord and love Him only. So that's our vertical relationship, right? Table one is how we love God. Table two is our horizontal relationships, how we love other people. And the first one in that list is to love our parents, right? To honor them is to love them. Yeah. I think one of the reasons for that is they're the first example of authority we have in our life. Yeah. Right? Um, If we can submit to our parents, we can submit to God. If we can submit to our parents, we can submit to government. If we can submit to our parents, we can submit to our boss, right, or any other authority that might be placed in our life. And let's talk about that a little bit, because I feel like there are lots of instances where people will say, okay, submission to parents, yes, but there are crummy parents and there are terrible parents. Why should we honor them, especially if they call us to something that dishonors God? Well, so honor doesn't, I don't think, mean... It doesn't necessarily mean obey under every circumstances. But we don't, we don't just blindly do what they say because they say it, right? And I think it changes as we get older, right? When we're kids, honoring them looks like obeying them, right? Like for our 8-year-old and our 4-year-old, mm-hmm. it looks like obeying us, right? Right. Um, but as we get older, you know, once you get into like high school and stuff like that, they're still obeying them. Right, it's like their direct commands, basically, like exactly what they say. Right, don't go here. Don't talk to that person. Don't do this. Right, or do this. Go to this place. Do something else. Right, we we obey those things, but also we take into consideration their feelings. I guess honoring them also starts to look like, you know, doing some stuff for them that maybe they don't ask us to. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and then. Once we're adults, honoring them looks less like completely obeying what they say, right? Because once you have a family, you've got to make decisions that work for your family, right? right? And you can't just take what your mom says and, and just blindly do it because you've got a whole other person there and it's your family. Right, right? your dynamic. And, mm-hmm. and I also think that, so I think what I'm asking mm-hmm. is, what about the parents who are not uh, raising up their children in the way that they should go? What about parents who are violent? What mm-hmm. about parents who are abusive, which I guess would be essentially violent? Yeah. Um, both with their words or with their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, what about parents who encourage you to lie? What about parents who who don't believe, right? right. What do you do with that? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't say 
honor your mother and father if they believe in Jesus. Yeah. Right? It says, honor your mother and father. What's the second part of that verse? So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Okay. So, break what you set up into two categories. First, parents who are telling you to sin. We don't obey laws or commands or orders or anything that's telling us to commit sin. So if tomorrow a law came out and said, everybody's got to go out and they've got to um, steal one thing, right? We don't follow that. So a um, good example from the Bible would be uh, Daniel. They were, uh, the people in the kingdom were told they couldn't pray to anybody, right? Or to any other gods. Mm -hmm. And Daniel prayed to God. He was thrown into the lion's den. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down to the golden statue and worship it, and they didn't do it. They were given a second chance, and they didn't do it, and they were thrown into the fire, right? Right. And the uh, the king told them, if you don't do this, like we're gonna we're gonna throw you in the fire. And they said, hey, our God will save us. And even if He doesn't, then we still have to obey Him, right? Right. You know, if our if our parents are telling us, I'm, you know, if they're giving us some sort of like an instruction to commit sin, we don't follow that, right? And, and, and following that instruction to, and going and committing sin because they told us to, I don't think really honors them. <clears throat> you're being obedient, but you're not really honoring them and loving them in a way that would glorify God. That's a good point. So, like, when we were talking in youth group this week, there were a couple of visitors whose parents are not believers. Mm -hmm. And you had read a study that said something along the lines of many people cannot thoroughly explain the gospel mm -hmm. adequately. If you ask people to explain what the gospel is very simply, they don't have a good grasp on it. Right. And so you were like, I really want the youth to be able to do that. I think that it's really important. I want to see if we can get a gauge on where they are as far as sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because we talk to them all the time about... Um, sharing the gospel with other people in their life and, and yeah it doesn't always look like you know do you have a minute for me to tell you about my lord and savior sometimes sharing the lord with someone sharing the gospel with someone looks a little bit differently than that and that's a whole other podcast but my point is who is it tougher to share the gospel with mm -hmm. people that you are close to or people that you don't know mm -hmm. and everyone pretty much agreed that it is very simple to go and share the gospel with quote unquote the lost yeah. right in another country or in another neighborhood or people that you don't know very well right but whenever you know the person whenever you have a relationship or a connection with this person whether it be shallow or deep you are terrified mm -hmm. right and so my whole thing with that to get back to your question you said we don't honor them by committing sin that they call us to. Sure. Right? By by committing sin that they encourage. That's mm -hmm. not how you love people well. And I agree. And I agree because in this instance where your parents don't believe, your parents are the lost people. Mm -hmm. Right? I think there's a difference in people knowing of the gospel. Mm -hmm and knowing the gospel, right? I think that there's a disconnect. Like, it's one thing to to know it. It's a different thing to believe it. Right. And so you can know the gospel and not believe the gospel, right? And I think that it goes from a story to truth mm -hmm. when you switch from knowledge to belief, right. right? That's the big difference. All of that to say, 
I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I think that if you if you say, well, I'm honoring my parents because my parents told me to lie about this situation, right? Yeah. Let's just say in the case of abuse, is it honorable mm-hmm. if you have a parent that is abusive and you go to school and you have a mark or a bruise mm-hmm. or a cut or something yeah. and someone asks you what that's about and you lie because your parents have said that parent mm-hmm. who committed that act or the parent who hasn't that is trying to protect that parent, right? has said, hey, I want you to lie about this because it will keep so-and-so safe. It will keep them with us, whatever. You're not doing that person any favors, nor are you honoring them. Mm -hmm. Honoring them looks like love. How do we love other people? We look at how Jesus loved other people. Mm -hmm. When he met the woman at the well, she was walking in sin. He didn't condone her sin. He didn't condone her sin and say, hey, just your sins are forgiven. Go back and live with that man. He said, go and sin no more. And so if we are essentially somewhat the mouthpiece of Jesus mm-hmm. to our unbelieving parents or our unbelieving caregivers or whatever, if that's our role, then what do we do? We look at how Jesus lived. And mm-hmm. never biblically did Jesus condone behavior. Never ever did he honor someone. I mean, he honored that woman at the well, right? He yeah. showed her great honor, but he didn't condone her. Right. And I think that we have just in our world right now if you don't agree with someone, you hate them. If right. you don't condone what they do, then you're against them entirely as a person. Then their humanity doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. You're not saying that they're worthless. You're just telling them that what they do is not okay. Yeah. And I think that where that stems from is that everybody wants blank affirming care or blank affirming parenting or blank affirming <laughs> relationships or whatever. Right. <laughs> but everybody wants you to be affirmed everybody says a parent's responsibility Mm -hmm. or a child's responsibility is to affirm the parent it's not it's to honor the parent yeah right as a parent our responsibility is not to affirm the child Mm -hmm. it's to we have to honor our children Right. right the way that we honor our children looks like discipline because at the end of the day they need to know right and wrong yeah and you can say that that's too black and white but the truth is is that children who have a good concept of reality and of cause and effect Mm -hmm. tend to thrive more with our youth. If we affirmed everything that our youth said or did, that would be disastrous. But you see that all the time. The whole point of youth group is to, I don't want to say call out the youth in certain things, but our responsibility, your responsibility as a youth pastor and mine as your helper, right? We're supposed to lead, guide, and call them to righteousness. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that our church has been doing recently there's been like a women's group that's been getting together and been talking about boundaries and boundaries Mm -hmm. in that circumstance you can still show honor in having boundaries boundaries are hard because sometimes people can perceive boundaries in the wrong way boundaries can be loving right whenever we set boundaries for our children we set boundaries for the youth students when we set boundaries for ourselves you know those are all loving Right Out of love, I'm asking you not to step outside of this because I know Mm -hmm. that sin is lurking outside of here. I know that there's danger out here, Mm -hmm. right? Um, There was a study that was done, and I don't know, I don't have references for it or whatever, but we talked about it in a psychology class, in a Christian psychology class. And it was talking about the benefits of boundaries. And it did this study where it took two groups of children, and in one group... 
they had a perimeter blocked off and they put them in a backyard and the children went out and they played in the yard and they played wildly and they ran around and they were joyful in all of this and then you took a different group of children and you put them in the same area and you took down the fence mm-hmm. and the children stayed on the deck they stayed on the little porch in the back they mm-hmm. didn't venture out and so like i said i don't have a reference for that and i'll try to find it and put it in the notes but the point is is that i think within boundaries we thrive I do. And we talked about this last week, how the Bible is literal boundaries for our lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying be legalistic. But we find our freedom in the confines of what the Bible tells us. There's grace when you you step outside of that Mm -hmm. by accident. But when you're consistently throwing yourself outside of the boundaries that God has called you to, you're going to look around and find that life is a mess. But I do think that whether you are a believer or not, what the Lord calls us to is beneficial. Yeah. And so when there is a need for boundaries, because I do think that it's healthy, Mm -hmm. the first thing I would say is you can still honor your parents. Let's just say that you have a parent who's incarcerated. Right. When you speak of them, speak of them kindly. Yeah. Remind people of the good things about them. Do not speak ill of them, right? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't honor them. Honor their name, right? If you can't honor them face to face, honor them in spirit. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing that I would say is that I know what it feels like to feel like there is a gap right to feel like i don't have um a believing mom or dad or or whatever the people in my life are not believers and so Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm missing out in some way i'm not going to have the benefits of that leadership i'm not going to have the benefits of that wisdom right i feel like it's unfair i look around and i see my friends who have biblically believing parents who pour into them every day and i'm just lacking that and i feel like the lord has in some way like given me a deficit. Like he didn't love me enough to give me that. Mm. God is faithful to fill in the gaps. I will say that when we lived far away, there was a time when we didn't live by family. And when we lived far away, the Lord was faithful to send people Mm -hmm. into our lives who were believers, who loved us faithfully in proximity, right? That doesn't mean that they became our parents or replaced them. They filled the role in proximity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and helped out that's why i think it's so important that the youth in the church are seeking wisdom not just from parents but from other older people in the church wisdom doesn't always just have to come from your mother and father Mm -hmm. this commandment as with any commandment or any any instruction in the bible that tells us to submit right we immediately go to well, what if my parents are this, right? Or, you know, wives submit to your husband. Well, what if he's abusive, right? We, we play the what if game to get out of the commandment. Right. We're each to be following this, these, right. right? So in the case of Israel, he's telling them, hey, fault, oh, you know, honor your father and your mother, right? Listen to them, take their wisdom on how to worship, and then there'll be blessings for that. You know, the command for the child to honor their father and their mother, but the command for the parent is to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and to love their neighbor as their self, which includes their child, right? right? There's a, a distinct authority gap, I guess, between a parent and a child. Like, the parent is in charge, the child is not. When the child steps out of line, the parent disciplines to pull them back in line, right? Not because the parent just has this weird power trip and they need to be in charge, right? 
but rather because the discipline from our parents helps us to understand the bounds under which, like the, the boundaries that we, we're supposed to live inside of. And if we, can, if we can obey our parents, then we'll obey the Lord. That's the reason, right? But we don't need to come to this commandment and, and play the what-if game in order to find the loophole to not follow what God has said. A few things. First of all, our flesh loves to poke holes in things. I think it's what we do that. to make... I do it all the time. I think it's what we do to make ourselves feel um, important and recognized, Mm -hmm. especially in a culture that tells us that we should be important and recognized. The second thing that I would say is if you have to find a loophole for something, first of all, you're looking for a way to sin. Mm -hmm. And two, you don't have an actual problem. Like you said, playing the what if game. Well, I'm trying to find a loophole to find a way that I can disobey my parents and feel validated in it. The truth is, is that the kids who are going through something, Mm -hmm. like legitimately going through something that have abusive parents or display sin in front of them, the kids who actually have those issues, they're not looking for a loophole. They don't have to, right? Those kids have a legitimate reason and they've got enough going on to where your loophole looks foolish. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a loophole to your Christian parents who are encouraging you in the way of the Lord and you just don't like it because it's not what you see at school or it's not what you see Mm -hmm. in your friends whose parents um, are not raising their children up in the way that they should go or it's what you're seeing on social media or it's what you're seeing in the TV that you watch Mm -hmm. or whatever. I would say you're looking for somebody to give you the green light to sin. You're trying to validate sin for yourself. I I mean, I've talked to kids over the years about this commandment and like kind of like you were saying generally the ones who are looking for that loophole are the ones whose parents aren't that bad right i think the last thing that i'd like to point out about this is our parents have fundamental value so we need to recognize that especially as we get older right because because like we've said honoring your parents changes you know when you're in high school and it changes when you're out of high school and it, you know, but you're living in their house, if you're living in their house, but you're out of high school. And then it changes once you're out of their house. And then it changes even more once you have a wife or, you know, a spouse and then kids. And then as they get older, it changes, right? Um, so if we kind of just live with the mindset that our parents have fundamental value and they're not a burden to us, right, regardless of the situation, right, they're not a burden to us. They're, they're a gift from the Lord that we should value. Then, then I think, you know, we'll, we'll fulfill this command. just say a teenage response especially for myself Mm -hmm. right it's so frustrating when my mom says literally anything it frustrates me Mm -hmm. when my dad says anything it frustrates me they could say the same thing as another adult and when they say it it frustrates me and they're constantly trying to like tell me what's right and all this stuff and they me well two things one i'm a mother and you bother them too and the (laughs) second thing you think that it's easy being like this is what's right and this is what's wrong because it would be so easy irresponsible yes but so easy for a parent to look at their child and go you know what Fine, you know what just do whatever you want absolutely and have i ever done that to my children have i ever let natural consequences hit them in the butt on the way out i absolutely have oh, man. but we are called as parents to raise our children up in the way that they should go mm-hmm. so honor your father and mother in that and the second thing that i would say is well why do you feel that way your flesh feels that way mm-hmm. Just like the way that your flesh may may push you in a desire towards things like pornography, lying, mm-hmm. stealing, pride, 
gossip, anything that your flesh can push you towards, right? Mm -hmm. It can push you towards dishonoring your mother and father. Mm -hmm. Just like we have to renew our mind, right? We have to renew our mind. We have to remind ourselves daily of what the Lord has done. We have to tell ourselves over and over Mm -hmm. and over again, the Lord has done this. The Lord is faithful. And I can see it in all of these ways. And when I don't feel like following him, I still have to. We got to do that as teenagers. Mm -hmm. We got to do that as youth students. We have to do that as young adults for our parents Mm -hmm. throughout our entire lives. Because as a teenager that says... I'm not going to obey my parents and I don't care what they say and I know better for myself. You will become an adult who does the same, excuse me, and all the wisdom that you were meant to glean from them, you will not have. And I've seen it just like you have to renew your mind in the things of Christ. You have to renew your mind and remind yourself, my mom and dad love me. They are for my good. They are for my betterment. These boundaries and things that they have are out of love and out of concern and they have a responsibility to God, Mm -hmm. right? And I have had so many friends, myself, you, look back and look at the rules that their parents had and they said, man, they were frustrating at the time, but I'm so glad they did it. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to mention on this is as you get older, right? Once you're you know, out of the house, like, this isn't a command for children. Yeah. Right? It's a command for people who have parents. You don't age out of honoring your parents. Exactly. And so, as you and I get older and as our parents get older, honoring them is going to start looking like helping to support them in some form or fashion, in some way, however it is that we can. Right. Um, It may not be putting them in our house and and taking care of them for the last few years, right? But if you feel like you should do that, you do that. Yeah, I mean, and talk to your parents and, you know, honor their wishes, honor their wishes of what they actually want, you know, and don't wait until they can't realize what's going on to dump them in a, you know, a a trash nursing home, right? Our, Our duty to honor them doesn't stop just because they are, our parents are old. And it doesn't stop once they pass, like, like you said, with not, you know, bashing them. Well, and if they can wipe your butt, you can wipe theirs. Like, sure. I'm not trying to be <laughs> crude about it, but I just... Your parents, if you had parents that were very present and did their absolute best, mm-hmm. even if they were fallible sometimes, you know, um, especially if you have parents who encouraged you in the way of the Lord, like, nobody knows what their end of life looks like. Yeah. And if your parent needs you and mm-hmm. would like to live out their days and you're financially able yeah. honor them in that way you know if they they took care of you if you are here and you are breathing and you are well cared for and you are you were well fed and you were mm-hmm. clothed and you felt loved even if it wasn't a perfect situation then count yourself lucky because not everybody has that yeah and see the blessing that that is and also recognize that at the end of our parents lives i mean they are going to need someone especially if they're alone if they spent a ridiculous children are so expensive like if they spent a ridiculous amount of money on you if they got you to every doctor's appointment if they did all of that you do that for them right and you can say well it changes my quality of life it yeah it might but you change their quality of life for a little while (laughs) your parents spent the first probably three to five years exhausted right and it was Mm -hmm. all out of love and it was out of care but you can do that for them right if your parent wants to be in a nursing home and that is 
that's fine too. I'm just saying, ask them, talk to them, and honor them at the end of their life. Don't get frustrated with them. Do your absolute best mm-hmm. because they tried not to get frustrated with you. Yeah. And we really all do just make a huge bell curve in our life, right, of our ability to understand and to carry mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, be gentle, be loving because they were probably that way with you. Yeah. All right, let's move on to commandment number six. Okay. Exodus 20, verse 13, the NIRV version. Do not murder. Yep. Simple. It's easy. As always, there's the what if game that we play here, right? Uh, You know, what if you're in the military? What if it's self-defense? Those are pretty much the two biggest, like, what ifs. The Mosaic laws, right? Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They expound on what is murder and what is not. What it comes down to is if you hurt someone and you kill them, that's murder. Mm -hmm. If you lie in wait, which means you think about it and you make a plan and you kill someone. So it's premeditated. That's murder, right? Exactly, premeditated. If I'm doing like like if I'm doing something and I can reasonably know that someone could get hurt by what I'm doing and they die, that would fall under murder, right? But if what I'm doing genuinely leads to an accident, right. that's not murder, right? And God set up these cities of refuge. Uh, which you can read about in Numbers 35, um, where people who who accidentally killed someone could go to. And and while they were in these cities of refuge, they couldn't be punished for what they did. Can I read from Numbers 35? Yeah. So before I read this, so the idea of Numbers 35, you have to understand that back then there was no, the world is covered in signs now. Like, there are signs now, like uh, Sharp Cliff, right? Or (laughs) rocks falling. There's all of these warnings now, Mm -hmm. and there used to not be that. And I say that because it wasn't uncommon back then for somebody to be in the street when animals came through. Right. It wasn't uncommon for people to be in more dangerous situations because there wasn't... There weren't committees and councils and and groups Mm -hmm. all related to just keeping people safe. The world was not as safe, quote-unquote, as it is now. The Old Testament law is a lot of what we call case law. So what case law is is examples of what is and isn't murder and what you do if somebody does this or this or that or the other. And then you can – the judge, they take the case law, they take all the examples – in their you know system of law about what is murder and what is not murder they read those they look at what happened in the case and then they figure out where it fits closest to and then they take the punishment for that and then they give it to that person does that make sense right you're about to read suppose someone does this right right that doesn't mean that if you kill someone with something slightly different that you're you're free So Numbers 35, verses 16 through 35. Suppose a person uses an iron object to hit and kill someone. Then that person is a murderer, and they must be put to death. Or suppose a person is holding a stone that could kill. Then they use it to hit and kill someone. That person is a murderer, and they must be put to death. Or suppose a person is holding a wooden object that could kill, and they use it to hit and kill someone. Then that person is a murderer, and they must be put to death. The dead person's nearest male relative must kill the murderer, and when he meets up with him, he must kill the murderer. What if a person makes evil plans against someone else, 
And what if that person pushes them so that they die? Or what if that person throws something at them so that they die? Or what if that person hits another person with a fist so that they die? Then the person who does any of these things must be put to death because that person is a murderer. The dead person's nearest male relative must kill the murderer. And when he meets up with him, he must kill him. But what if a person suddenly pushes someone without being angry? What if that person throws something at someone without meaning to? Or what if that person does not see the other person and drops a stone on them that kills them? He was not the dead person's enemy. He didn't mean to harm them. Then the court must decide between the person who did the act and the nearest male relative of the one who was killed. Here are the roles a court must follow. The court must provide a safe place for the person accused of murder. It must keep the one accused of murder safe from those who want to kill them. The court must send the accused person back to the city they ran to for safety. The accused person must stay there until the high priest to the high priest dies. He's describing a city of refuge right there. That priest has been anointed with holy oil. But suppose the accused person goes outside that city, and suppose the dead person's nearest male relative finds them outside the city. Then the relative can kill the accused person. The relative will not be guilty of murder. The accused person must stay in that city until the high priest dies. Only then may they return home. This is what the law requires of you for all of time to come. It will apply to you no matter where you live. Suppose a person kills someone, then that person must be put to death as a murderer. But do it only when there are witnesses who can tell what happened. Do not put anyone to death if only one witness tells what happened. Do not accept payment for a murderer's life. A murderer deserves to die. They must certainly be put to death. Do not accept payment for anyone who has run to a city for safety. Do not let them buy their freedom to return home. They must not go back and live in their own land before the high priest dies. Do not pollute the land where you are. Murder pollutes land. Only one thing can pay to remove the pollution in the land where murder has been committed. The blood of the one who spilled another's blood must be spilled. So do not make the land where you live unclean, because I live there too. I, the Lord, live among the Israelites. So what we see there is, if you do this or this or this or this or this, that makes you a murderer. But if you do this, this or that, even if somebody dies, that doesn't make you a murderer. And then we see punishment, right? If you commit murder, then you're to be put to death. Okay, so then we see that if we, we have these same categories in our law system, right? We have first-degree murder, murder that is committed with another felony, right? So like I break into your house and I kill you, that's first-degree murder, right? Um, then we have second-degree murder, which is what most people would describe as just straight-up murder, right? Premeditated or otherwise. And then you have third-degree murder, which is, you know, more of like negligent homicide which is like if you're driving a car and you get in a wreck and you weren't like trying to hit them but like you weren't using your car the right way then that's negligent homicide right um or you have manslaughter which is what he was describing like you know moving a rock off of my hill in my land the rock rolls down and they get killed right that's negligent homicide or you know it could be negligent homicide it could be manslaughter something like that right or, or then you have justified homicide or what we would call self-defense, right? So the, the punishments decrease as you go through the system. Same thing here, right? Nobody gets off in any of these instances. Nobody gets to just go free, right? That, and that's a, that's a key thing because in the end, someone did die. Someone's actions led to somebody else's death. So simple murder. You, you commit murder, right? Then you are tried. There is there. It's not just like somebody walks up to you and stabs you and kills you, right? There, there's a trial. There's got to be witnesses. 
but then the closest male relative, he is the one who enacts the the punishment. Right. They they're usually through stoning because you you harmed his family. But he can't just like walk up to you and kill you without any you know reason. He's got to bring you to the court, and there's a system, right? Right. He can't accept payment in place of killing you, right? Um, a, a lot of cultures have uh, like a blood price. Like every person is worth a, a price. And in um, most of these cultures, instead of going to prison or being killed for killing somebody, you just pay the value of them. God does not give a value for people. Well, because he considers all people of equal value. Exactly. The, the value of someone else's life is your life. Right. right? Um, because everyone has an equal value. Um, Treat others as you wish to be treated. Exactly. And then so if you commit you know, what we would call, like, negligent homicide, right? You accidentally kill somebody. You have to leave where you are, and you have to move to a, a city of refuge, right? Um, throughout the, the um, throughout Israel, they had these uh, Levite cities, right? Um, 11, of, 11 of the tribes had been given portions of the land. The Levites were split up into each tribe so that there would be priests near all the people. Okay. And they had certain cities. Those are, the refu- those are the cities of refuge. And so they would go to the city of refuge, and they lived there. If they moved out and if they left, right, and they, they left like the area of the city, and the closest male relative of the person who was killed finds out about it, he can go and arrest that person and bring him before the court. And then that person will be killed. Right. Right? Because God told them to stay in this city until the high priest dies. Once the high priest dies, then it's almost like a life has been given, right? And so now that person can leave and go return back to where he came from, right? Um, but the city of refuge can't accept payment from the closest male relative. And so, like I said, we, we see this kind of playing out in our law systems today, very, you know, similar ways. Um, And so we see the value of people's lives um, in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. Cain is then kicked out of the land. Cain is immediately worried, what happens if somebody kills me? And God tells them, I'm going to put a mark on you. We don't know what the mark was, but I'm going to put a mark on you and so that um, everyone will know that if they kill you, I will do seven times worse to them what your punishment is, right? So Cain is is removed. He's separated from, he's exiled essentially, right? Um, so when it comes to war, God does tell the Israelites to go into the land and to kill the people of the land when they take it over, right? We see that in Joshua. But what we need to understand is God had given the people of the land time and opportunity in order to repent so let's just talk mm-hmm. about that for a second yeah. because there are whole religious groups that are centered around nonviolence, yes. right and that's not to say that as christians we are pro-violence mm-hmm. that's not what that is but there are many cases biblically where god says i want you to go into this city or i want you to go into this place and i want you to remove all of the people from it mm-hmm. Saul was supposed to go in, King Saul was supposed to go in, and he was supposed to remove everything that belonged to those former people. Yeah. 
And we might say, well, God, so God calls us to murder. No. Right? What does that look like? What does that mean? Might say in cases of war, we have a military. Mm -hmm. In cases of King David, King David was a soldier in the military, right? Um, David's brothers were in the Israelite army. You go, well, how can God condone that if he calls us not to murder? So. Well, first off, a war does not constitute murder. Now, God telling the Israelites to go and destroy the people of the land. First off, that's unique to the Israelites. It's not a, a thing that exists for us. Secondly, if you happen to be in the military or, or go into the military, warfare is not murder. Um, I think you can be a Christian and join the army, right? Now, again, as we talked about with parents, we submit to authority except for when authority tells us to sin, right? So, but if you happen to be in the army or in the military and you are told to go and commit atrocities and war crimes and actually murder people, then you say no, right? And you suffer the consequences. But if you're in the army and, and what you're doing is for the protection of you know, those who can't protect themselves or it's for the protection of the country or something like that, then I think that that's fine. Protecting others. So in the Hebrew text, right? The <laughs> I, I'm sorry, the Hebrew text. Hold on, back up. Got Questions tells us that when you look at the Hebrew text, the Hebrew word means intentional, premeditated killing of another person yes. with malice, mm -hmm. murder. And a lot of times God told the Israelites to go to war mm -hmm. with other people. Sometimes, my, my opinion, and I think what we see in the Bible, is that we don't want to just have a world war at all times. Correct. Right? But first of all, when sin came into the world, so did a lot of hate. And hate between people, people who don't live in accordance with God's mm -hmm. law. That's where you see a lot of issues that come up in wartime. Mm -hmm. Right? And sometimes, unfortunately, war is necessary mm -hmm. it's inevitable right when you live in a world of sinful people all coming together <laughs> in their sinfulness um war is sometimes what you get it's gonna right? happen yeah and because we don't all live like we talked about the other week because we don't all live under the same morality mm -hmm. um under biblical morality we run into issues of different countries different people groups different cultures of belief those all clash together, right? Because there are some countries that you have that believe in honor killings. Well, we believe that that's murder, right? right? But there are people groups who don't see things that yeah. way. And so there are people groups who still exist, very few and far between, but that believe in human sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are still existing. And so when we all live by different forms of morality, you have that Mm -hmm. butting of the heads and you're going to have things that break out two things one i think the reason that the punishment this is just coming from a mother's perspective mm -hmm. right because yes. if you have a group of people so think think to the way that the world is right now mm -hmm. if you have a group of people who who do something heinous right they murder someone mm -hmm. and they get they get the equivalent of a slap on the wrist. Something that doesn't really cause them, they have to pay a lot of money, but they have a lot of money and they're able to pay it. Mm -hmm. Then the lesson learned is not there. And in a lot of times, you have to have serious consequences for serious actions. Mm -hmm. The punishment has to fit the crime. If the punishment for killing someone is 
a slap on the wrist, people will kill people all the time. But on the flip side of that, if the punishment for rolling a rock down the hill and accidentally killing someone is the same as killing someone with intent, then first of all, you're going to have people lying. And second, people are going to live in consistent fear and nothing will get done. So you have to have different levels of consequence Mm -hmm. and punishment for each crime, right? That's the first thing I was going to say. The second thing is Got Questions is a super helpful source for Mm -hmm. me because I didn't grow up reading this stuff. Got Questions puts it in a really great way, and I don't want to take credit for it, so I'll read it directly from there. Um, It is an error to say that God does not support certain wars. Jesus was not a pacifist. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Jesus flipped tables in the marketplace, and I think that people get upset about that and they go so jesus was quick to anger no you have to understand the the punishment fit the crime the people were taking the church the temple the place where people went to connect with god directly where the holy spirit would dwell Mm -hmm. and they were using it inappropriately so in a big way they were offending the house of god yes right in a, word, in a world filled with evil people, sometimes war is necessary to prevent even greater evil. Mm-hmm. Two examples of this. Had Hitler not been defeated by World War II, imagine the amount of people that could have been killed in addition mm-hmm. to those who were. The second example. If the American Civil War had not been fought, consider that African Americans and some others could still be living in slavery. Yeah. So sometimes war is a necessary I don't know if I want to call it a necessary evil, but sometimes it is necessary for the greater good to stop evil. The next part says, war is a terrible thing, and while some wars are more just than others, war is always the result of sinfulness. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we see in Ecclesiastes 3.8 where it says, there is a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time for peace. When you have... When the world is filled with sin and hatred and evilness, mm-hmm. right? Which we know that it is. We can look around. You, unless you live under a rock, you know that those things exist. Um, war is inevitable. But I think that when it comes to times of war, having to do something like this for the greater good, right? What can we do as believers, especially mm-hmm. if we're not involved, right? Especially if we're not soldiers. Especially if we're not participating mm-hmm. actively, right? We can be praying for wisdom for our leaders, right? That they would be peacemakers to the best of their ability, mm-hmm. that they would not seek out war, but just use but it as when a it's necessary. necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like we don't seek out times to discipline our children, but when it's necessary, we do it. It's a tool it. in the tool belt when it's needed. For the youth group, if there's ever somebody, if there's certain behaviors, right, mm-hmm. we don't seek those out and create more trouble where there is. But if there is trouble, we have to confront it. That's yeah. our responsibility. So in those times, you can pray for safety. You can mm-hmm. pray for wisdom. Um, pray for quick resolution, right? Because nobody wants a war that goes on forever. Um, and minimal casualties, right? For both sides. Yeah. So most people, hopefully, have not committed a murder. They haven't done a murder, right? Done murder. What have you done? Have done murder. <laughs> done a murder, right? Most people have not done a murder. Most people have not committed negligent homicide or justified homicide. Most people are not going to serve in the armed forces. So we've spent a lot of time talking about that, but that doesn't apply to 
the vast majority of people. So, so it's easy to come to this commandment and say, I've done it, right? Jesus was talking to the um, rich young ruler, or Nicodemus, one of the two. I think it was Nicodemus. And he said, you know, I've kept the commandments. I haven't, you know, I haven't killed anybody and stuff like that, right? But that doesn't mean that we haven't broke this commandment, right? Because in Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 21, it says, You have heard it said to those of old, Jesus is now talking about the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments in particular, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, right? So you've heard it said in the Ten Commandments, don't murder, and if you do, then you have judgment for it. You have judgment for it. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says You're, you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You want to read in your version real quick? Sure. Matthew five twenty one. You've heard it said to the people who lived long ago. They were told, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be judged for it. But here's what I tell you. Do not even be angry with a brother or sister. Anyone who is angry with them will be judged. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, must stand in trial in court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire in hell. So Raka meaning worthless, empty, essentially telling someone that they are no good, insulting someone, insulting their character. So 1 John 3.15 says... Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Anyone who hates their brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. So what we see there is that hating somebody, that causes us to break that commandment, right? Again, the what-if game, right? Like there are times when it's okay to be angry there, right? But I guess it would be more like a lingering anger. The section in Matthew 5 goes on to say... Um, talk about if you're offering a gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave, go and make it right with them, right? So it's just kind of like a lingering thing there. So we've all broken this commandment because we've all been angry with somebody in our heart to the point of if we weren't restrained by the Holy Spirit, if we weren't restrained by the laws, right? If given the right opportunity. We would feel justified right? in our and hearts. Exactly, exactly. And so the Bible is very, and, and even the Ten Commandments are very concerned with our with the heart behind what we're doing, right? We may not commit murder, but if we hate people, we may not actually be killing them, but we're no better, right? We do the same thing if given the opportunity. And I know that everyone thinks that they wouldn't, right? Most people think that they wouldn't, and everybody likes to pretend like we're better than we really are. But the Bible's clear that, read read 1 John 3.15 again. Anyone who hates their brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. We don't get off scot-free from this just because we've never actually killed somebody, right? Well, and the next part of it says we know that love, we know what love is because Jesus Christ gave his life for us. We should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. So just as love can abound in your heart, hate can abound in your heart. Yeah, absolutely. And hate can fester, right? And Mm -hmm. it can, just like you have to remind yourself, like we always say Romans 12, 1 and 2, to renew your mind, right? You have to remind yourself of what God has done. You have to remind yourself mm-hmm. of what he says. And renewing your mind, making sure that you're in the right mindset, right? That you would never get there. Because you always look at people who commit these heinous crimes and you go, 
well, did they just one day wake up and decide that this is what they were going to do? Absolutely not. That kind of stuff festers mm-hmm. and it festers and it festers and it festers. And maybe it's not something that they brought upon themselves, but they didn't make the conscious decision to not let anger linger to where it turns into hate. Mm-hmm. Hate does not start as hate. Hate starts as disappointment or anger mm-hmm. or hurt. And it evolves like a snowball effect Mm -hmm. going down a hill until it becomes this hatred and once you've hit the point of hatred it takes a lot of undoing and a lot of work because you have to essentially unravel or unpack where that hate stems from and i would also add the the picture that jesus presents of somebody who hates his brother and the picture that john presents as somebody who hates his brother is not somebody who is a hateful person Right, somebody who just hates everybody and hates all things and is angry constantly and all that. But like just the one time. So again, we're not all able to get there, but how did we get to this point is sin. We feel justified our like you said, resentment, anger, right? It, it snowballs down there and I think that's how we get there, but we've all gotten there because we're all sinful and we're all ultimately selfish. And you can sit there and you can say well, I can feel this way. I have a lot of self-control, and I can mm-hmm. feel this way in my heart, right? I can feel anger towards my brother or sister because we're all created in the image of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. God has created every single person. Nobody is created by anything else. And mm-hmm. so when you get to that point, you go, oh, well, I have a lot of self-control, and y- you don't. Every single person starts with the same self-control, and either because of circumstances or decisions or a mix of everything. It becomes something else entirely. Nobody is born with a hatred of someone mm-hmm. or of something, right? That all stems from somewhere. So if you feel yourself starting to manifest this in your heart, I've been around people who have hate for certain um, people groups or for whatever. I've been around those people. I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up in the South, right? And so, and I can tell you that that all is, first of all, a learned behavior, mm-hmm. most of it. And a lot of it is rooted in lies. In fact, all of it, I would say, is probably rooted in a lot of lies. And two, it is a conscious decision every single day to wake up and go, I'm going to continue in this, and I'm not going to choose Mm -hmm. forgiveness, and I'm not going to choose grace, and I'm not going to choose love. That is a decision until one day you don't consciously make it anymore, and it just becomes a part of who you are. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. Good thoughts. Good thought. I have good thoughts. You have great thoughts, babe. Man, it smells like a Gilmore Girls episode in here. I'm so happy. Because of the peppermint anti-ant spray that you've been spraying? No, not because of that, but that does smell good, and I'm very pleased Or is it that, that candle purchase. that you started to burn? So I bought a candle. I used to never burn candles, y'all, because I was always afraid of, like, the stuff that comes out of it. And at the end of the day, we live in South Louisiana. And, and you it's... woke up the other day, and it was 70, 80, 68 degrees outside, and you were like, it's right. candle time, y'all. Yeah, I and I channeled my inner pumpkin spice latte, and I was like, I'm getting me a fall candle, and I do. Did you go get a pumpkin spice latte, though? I don't like pumpkin spice. No, I don't really like pumpkin spice. I like pumpkin. I like pumpkin pie. I like uh, pumpkin praline. I Probably. I like legit pumpkin. All of that to say, y'all, it's almost fall, and I'm pumped about it. Um, This is definitely one of my favorite times of year. It's almost football season. In fact, it is football season. Football started last night, officially. I could not be more happy for you. Ready to pray? Yeah. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, the freedom to talk about you. Thank you for the opportunity 
to uh, discuss your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, uh, to honor our father and our mothers. Lord, we would make it a point to to do what you've said, Lord. Um, I pray that you would give us wisdom on how to do that, God. And I pray that you give us uh, the courage to do it, Lord, and the strength to do it, God. I pray that you would soften the hate that we ha- we have in our hearts from time to time, Lord. I pray that you would show us where it is that we have failed, Lord. I pray that you would reveal our sin and you would bring us to repentance. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. guys thanks for listening in this week we won't be here next week because we will be on vacation but we'll return the following week and we'll talk about commandments seven and eight see you then